Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Brad, I need to know, is there a lumberjack in the house anywhere? I don't know. Is there? (laughs) When I see one, I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Do that, would you? Well, every time I look in the mirror, I see one. (laughs) I see one every morning. Hey, uh, I got a a question for you. You sent me the note uh, that that Bill uh, Gerard would be joining us today. Is that that the right way to pronounce his name, Gerard? Bill Gerard. He's a scaler. But he's a scaler. What is a scaler? I have this picture of him scaling uh, scales off a fish. Or maybe that's what he does with a log. I don't know. Bill's here. He could uh, describe just a little bit what he did. A little bit. Bill, what do you do? Well, uh, it's uh, whether this it's it's a pulpwood scaler, and so it starts off with um, the trucks coming across our scale. The scale is ten feet wide by seventy oh, feet long, okay. and uh, okay. now it's all computerized. Back in the day, it used to be the six, stick scaling, but uh, everything's all computerized now. Computers came in in nineteen ninety, I believe, is when the first computers came in the office. Wow. So you you kind of weigh the truck. You're, you're the guy that kind of determines what the logger that's bringing in the goods is going to get paid then uh, pretty much, aren't you? Well, not so much as paid. It's just my job is to make sure that wood is what the mill is looking for and asking ah, for. Okay. So I, sure. you know, de- determine, you know, if it's a quality and nine times or 99.9% it is. Now, Bill, you, you work up at Sappy. Are they looking for just one particular kind of wood, or are there a number of different woods that they're that they're uh, willing to buy and purchase? Yeah, so right now it's heavy aspen, and with uh, about 60% aspen to 40% maple. And there's other species that are mixed in a small percentage of birch and basswood and uh, ash that the mill buys and meters in with their process. Okay. It's a big process, and, uh, though, Brad. There's a lot. There's a lot going on there constantly. What Bill and there's other scalers there that uh, they're they're quality control. So they look at the loads every time. They weigh it in. They make sure the contract numbers are right. License plates. Everything. All the information is gathered on that truck, where it came from, who owns it, and everything. Right at the scaler. So sure. when they come in, that's all recorded. And then when they come out, they weigh them again on another scale on the outbound to make sure and their empty weight is right. Oh, and. And uh, up in Sappy now, you you uh, the products that they're making up there are are really varied. I mean, I was amazed uh, not too long ago, maybe a month or so ago, I read a story about some of the uh, um, fabric that they are making for clothing industry, for example. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I wish I knew more about that end. I really don't. Uh, you know, in fact, maybe Peter knows way more about that than I do. But, you know, I'm a wood guy, and I, I know the wood end, but I wish I knew a whole lot more about, uh, you know, everything what, what Sappy makes, and I, I really don't. Yeah. You know, Brad, that's a good point. Um, you know, as we've seen the timber industry uh, lose mills, throughout Minnesota over the last 10, 12 years. It's important to point out that while a lot of mills focus on their um, specific product, uh, SAPI has really uh, invested 
in diversifying and and being yes. uh, and and looking at innovation to to uh, transition to uh, to the markets that are out there that'll ensure that that uh, they're they're around for the future. This, by the way, is Scott Dean that we're talking to right now. And, and Scott, you're absolutely right. I'll never forget the first time. It was, oh, I don't know, maybe eight, ten years ago that I was in a store. It happened to be overseas. And I saw these great-looking shirts, and I wanted to buy a shirt. And I was looking at the shirt, and it said it was made out of bamboo. And I thought... Oh, wait a minute. I don't want to buy this shirt. It's going to be scratchy and itchy. How do they do that? And it was the most comfortable fabric. It was almost like a silk. And so what what they have done in the industry today is they have developed products that you can take off of wood that are just as comfortable, maybe more uh, so than a lot of the uh, other products that are out there. So you got to give it to Sappy, who has invested the money and the research and development into looking at things that they can develop that have a, a wide, um, you know, wide market out there, and, and that helps keep the loggers in business. It helps keep the workers at Sappy in business. Mm-hmm. Helps keep everybody in business. Yeah, you have to have uh, businesses like Sappy in. In business, uh, uh, give me just a second here, Brad, just to back up just a little bit, sure. if you could, please. Um, yeah. When, when everybody, most people don't realize how much is really involved in the timber industry, and like I've said in the past, we're the hidden industry, and and a lot of people don't even know what we really do, but they use our end product constantly. When you drive across Minnesota, Wisconsin, or a whole the whole country, and you see a family farm. And you see the farmer's house, and you see the farmer work in the field in the corn, the beans, or harvest, or this time it's harvest time, and they're going really fast. Everybody thinks of the family farm or save the family farm. And it automatically clicks in everybody's mind, save the family farm, farmers, constantly. When you see a forest, you see the trees. You don't, it doesn't click in a person's mind, save the family logger. It doesn't really click. When I see a forest, I see something that needs to be managed on a regular basis. And the listeners that have been listening a while are starting to get a real good understanding. They're very intelligent. And they're starting to understand that we have to manage the forest all the time. When you see a farmer, you think farmer, save the family farm. When you see a forest, if you could start to think of what is being done to manage that forest. Is it just left or is it used? No, we utilize it. We constantly utilize it. And that's why we're the hidden industry, because a lot of times loggers want to be left alone. They want to stay in the woods. And so to educate individuals, they have to be willing to listen to what really goes on. There's many, many entities in the timber industry, and one of them is like a sappy, where they take a lot of wood from very far out. We'll get into that here pretty quick with Bill, how far out they go. But there's also other plants that we're trying to get in here, and one is called Ensent that will take wood waste and turn it into fuel, and we're still working on that. We did have our meeting. I was going to ask you yep, about that. <laughs> we did have a meeting <laughs> and, out in D.C., and it didn't go the best because, um, sad to say, Miss Ann Ensel never made it. So Really? It got a bit irritating at the time, and we did meet with the staffers and that. And we did get our points across, and I was a little bit, I was a little bit heated, a little bit, I guess you could say. But they still took notes. On the positive side of that, I talked to Commissioner Nelson last night, and Commissioner Nelson and Congressman Stauber are meeting with Ann Etzel today. 
I was hoping it was last night where they could call and talk about it, but it's today because he, I think Congressman Stauber got called away about stuff about, uh, I forgot, it was at the national level in in the world and that. Um, Peter, explain who Ann Insult is. I mean, what is her function in the government? It's not insult. It's (laughs) insult. My beautiful vocabulary. Yeah, Insult, actually, I-D-S-E-L. She's the um, uh, assistant administrator uh, for the uh, Division of uh, uh, Air and and, uh, Radiation, which is a a division that uh, administers the renewable fuel standard which okay. this bio, biomass would fit into uh, as a product being developed uh, for because as bio this crew. biomass, uh, uh, Scott Dane, this biomass that you're talking about in this this whole process would involve burning uh, off this waste product, keeping uh, power plants running and things with this product. So they want to make sure that it's not going to uh, pollute the air, pollute the water, do whatever else. So that's why they're involved. Correct. Well, you can debate why they're involved, to be honest with you. Theoretically, you're correct. Uh, theoretically, you're okay. correct. We're well, getting a lot of discussion on that one, but they're, they, yeah. they are out there. They are seeing what they can do, and hopefully the Congress, no, Commissioner Stauber, no, Commissioner Nelson, I'm getting them all messed up, will hopefully be calling in tomorrow and letting you know how things went. Okay. That would be great. That um, would but be it's, it's a positive thing, but you never know. There's many loops to go through, and we're hoping to get something. This is another way, another tool, another consuming. You got to have, you have to have businesses like a Sappy, a Boise, a Lake Spirit Paper. I call them their older names, a Blandin. You have to have those in order to manage the forest because we cannot cut the trees and manage it without a place to take it. And so, something like a a, a Sappy, where Bill worked, is very very important. Those are a lot of very good paying jobs. These are not poor paying jobs. These are excellent paying jobs. And so you have to have that so you can keep going. Bill, how, they, that, the mill in Cloquet consumes a tremendous amount of wood, but you remember we were talking earlier, what were some of the older records of trucks? Because people think, oh, you're only taking in 30, 40 trucks a day or something like that. That's what would go through most people's minds. Okay? Why don't we go back in history a little bit, and then we'll come up to the present. You can give, run that down a little bit, like the volumes and how you used to do it, because... In my mind, or most people's minds out there, they're thinking, okay, you're getting 20, 30 trucks a day, and that's pretty good. Right. That's not even close to what goes on. No. uh, When I started in uh, the early 80s, uh, the record uh, trucks that we were taking in uh, in a day was 197 trucks in one day. And, uh, you know, it was extremely impressive. Well, things have yeah. changed. And in the potlatch days, you know, potlatch was always putting money into the mill and, uh, and, and investing in the mill. And so when, things, when that happened, all of a sudden the truck increase needed to happen. And so from that, we, we broke the record to 202, and it went up to 250 and more and more. Well, the record wow. in the mill now for, for Sappy in one 12-hour day, 12-hour day, was 537 trucks. I mean, it's just, Bill, are you kidding? It's it's yeah, it's staggering. And and even when I go it into is. the mill and talk to people like that, they're just amazed. They think I'm I'm joking. I said no, that's the record. I I hope we don't break the record because that's a stressful, stressful day. 
Those are days I don't like to be in line because the line is constant all day. And these are not, back in the early 80s, there was a lot of little bobtail trucks and smaller trucks in that count. Now there, I don't, there's maybe, I only count maybe one or two that come in of those smaller trucks now. Yeah, Peter's exactly right. Uh, in the day, uh, I remember when the, the the length of the tractors, uh, the trailers were, uh, was it 38 foot feet? A lot of were 40 footers back then. And then, and, then re- and then I remember what guys were going to, the 40 foot trailers. And I'll never forget the guy that's going to invest into a 42 foot trailer. And he was laughed and scoffed at. Well, how are you going to turn around <laughs> in the woods with a 42 foot trailer? Well, now that's the norm, if not 45. There are 45, 48s a lot. Of them they just keep a little bit bigger wow. now we're running six axles instead of five and then the re- the weights back then were 80 to eighty four thousand back in those days and now it's 94 to ninety nine thousand. Hopefully, a deal with you and listening right now. Well, guys, uh, guys, I have uh, we have to take our first break of this hour, uh, but but I want to leave you with this because I want to talk about this when we come back from the break. Just had one of our listeners chime in and send me a note as we were talking about it here, and I think it has to do because of all of the forest fires. No, not so much forest, but all of the the fires that are going on right now out in California. Uh, because of the tinder dry area they've got those humongous Santa Ana winds out there and all of that now we don't have so much of that here but what this what this listener wants to know and maybe we can talk about it when we come back after this break is can you guys explain how logging helps keep the chance of forest fires down in our beautiful north north woods area okay we'll hit on it pretty good yes we can All right, let's do that. Kenny, let's take us on our break here, and then we'll come back more with uh, Scott Dane from the uh, uh, Associated Contract Loggers, Pete Wood, and uh, Pete's guest today, Bill Girard. So we'll be right back. Now you can access WDSM on your Amazon Alexa device. Just download the Amazon Alexa app. Go to Skills and Games and search for WDSM. Click it and activate. You have 710 AM WDSM enabled. You're good to go. Get the step-by-step instructions at WDSM710.com. The talk of the north on Alexa. 710 and FM 98.1 WDSM. Giant Redwood. Lodge. The fur, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the laboratory. On Wednesday I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. I go to the lavatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere we go we have a lavatory. <laughs> yes, or or a tree to go behind, one of the two. <laughs> Hurry up, let's go get back to work attitude, you know. But uh, on the Uh-oh. question about what's going on in California, um, the same thing could ha- actually, folks, the same thing could actually happen here because, like, St. Louis County, that's why Commissioner Nelson is out there. He knows that there's a major problem with some of the forest here, and there's a huge amount of dead, dried uh, spruce budworm killed balsams in that. 
and sure. that could go up like a kinder box easily too. We're coming into winter. We've had really a lot of rain, a lot of rain, a lot of rain, and so the fire danger is not even thought about. We're more thinking about can it dry up a little bit and a little bit of dust blowing, and so you kind of forget about that, but there's still that fuel load. And like out in California, it's the same thing that I've said in the past about like Colorado. There's a huge amount of fuel load there, and that's why it keeps. I like to always bring it back that if you manage the forest, you're not going to eliminate all forest fires, but you're going to reduce the percentage of it ever to start. And logging roads are the beginning of opening up land, and if you stop logging, the inroads don't happen. You don't get the roads because yes. people are not going to build an inroad just to go hiking or biking. You, it doesn't happen. The reality is you have to have a product that you can achieve to build that road. And so like out in California, uh, they can, you, can, you can blame all kinds of things, but the truth is, is if you manicure and manage, wouldn't you reduce the fuel load a bit? Wouldn't you reduce the risk? And with the inroads in there, think so. couldn't you get in there faster to help put out a little fire instead of become this catastrophic it, it's, it's well, guys, uh, guys, isn't this the same thing that they talked about for years up in the big blowdown uh, up in the Boundary Waters area? Uh, the, you know, I remember people talking during that period of time, if we don't do something to get in there and take out this fuel, all this down wood that's on the ground, there's going to be fires. And there were fires that went through, uh, luckily, not to any major problems, but... Uh, but, I mean, there were some strong fires that went through there. And so logging has a way of creating uh, access to those areas. You create logging roads to get the product out, but those same logging roads can then be used to access the area in case there is a, a lightning strike and a fire starts up. You, can, you have a way to get in there and battle it. Is that what you're basically saying? Exactly, Brad. Um, I was on the Ham Lake fire for a week up there with a uh, strike team off the Iron Range. And you know who else was up there on that fire, on the Ham Lake fire, when that blowdown area uh, lit up? Mm-hmm. Loggers. Yeah. Loggers with dozers, break, you know, making uh, fire breaks and, and that type of thing, protecting the forest. Sure. Um, so yeah. things do need to be addressed. And the California problem, the density of, of California's forests right now are twice as dense as they were 10 or 20 years ago because they don't have have the degree of logging anymore. If you want to log in California on your private land, you have to get the state's permission to even harvest timber on your own land out there. Oh, it's so boy. it's so difficult. I was just at a conference about a month ago with California loggers. When they heard what we have to do or don't have to do to uh, harvest uh, private land in Minnesota, they couldn't believe it. Um, so yeah, the, you know that. Forest management, as Peter talked about earlier, uh, is critical. Uh, it takes three components to uh, have a fire, and that's fuel, oxygen, and a, an ignition source or heat. Uh, uh, you're not going to take the oxygen out of the atmosphere. Um, you can't you know, say you control lightning strikes or perhaps a, a power line uh, sparking out there as well. Right. Um, but you right. can reduce the fuel. And as an example, back to Ensign, uh, California loves the renewable energy and everything else. Uh, they, could, they could be making renewable fuel with the timber out there, reducing the fire hazard and supporting their uh, renewable fuel agenda on top of it all. You know, you'd think that they would understand that and would work to do that a little bit more, but uh, it doesn't there fit does their, seem to be... It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't fit, doesn't their, fit their narrative. Their it doesn't fit yeah. their narrative. It's all global warming. You know, ignore the fact that there's fuel that burns, which is trees. 
And there's a lot well, of Well, and that's there. what I was reading, uh, guys, that's what I was reading this morning about the one fire that they have that uh, is about, only about 15% contained right now. They said it started because uh, a heavy wind, wind uh, gust came in, knocked some branches off a tree onto a power line. That sparked uh, the ground that was so dry. And, of course, when you've got those winds going uh, 70 miles an hour through those canyons, it doesn't take much to really drive a, a small fire into a raging inferno. No, a power line like that, even a smaller one, if you ever have hit a f- one or two in my life with trees, you know, and you watch those, yeah. they will throw sparks. It's very, very impressive to watch from the w- little ways away, but you'll see that zzz, it's hard to describe, and you'll see like a, like a fire almost between it. And yeah, if, yeah. if you if you hit power lines with a tree, and it's dry out, it's probably going to burn because it, it's so much intense heat. Instantly, it'll start a fire in a hurry. But without without having a mill consuming, without having the loggers, without having the infrastructure, you can't do any of that. And that's what we're trying to promote over and over again. Like the family farm, when you think about the forest, think of the family logger. And like like for Bill, he has seen more than one generation come through. In the years, and I thought we had we had four generations in my family right now, but he's already seen four, haven't you, Bill? I have, yeah. And it was such an honor, such an honor. Um, what the what the guys did for me last spring, the ACLT, the Associated Contract Loggers and Truckers, uh, had me for their honorary guest at their banquet, and um, nice. yeah, it was extremely nice. And just a few days before that. I was able to scale in a fourth generation logger. And so it started off when I, way back when, in the early, early 80s, where I had Clarence Aho, and a wonderful, wonderful Finlander oh, sure. man, and spoke Finn, and, and uh, just a, a character, if, it, if everybody or anybody remembers. How did he Clarence. talk to you? How did he talk to you, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And even when he was uh, stopped by the DOT, you know, he would start speaking Finn, and pretty soon the DOT would raise their hands and just hop in their vehicle and drive away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't do yeah. us like yeah. that. <laughs> so so uh, Clarence was an amazing guy. You know, and, and I, I just was able to see the tail end of that. And then so uh, Clarence's two boys, John and Carl, I scaled in John and Carl. And then John's three boys, Scott, Dale, and Tony, I'm scaling in Scott, Dale, and Tony. And then just before the banquet, uh, the last Friday in April, I was able to scale in Tony's son, David, four generations of Ajos. It's just amazing, just amazing, such an honor for me. Well, and and Bill, when you see that happening, you know that this is a family that believes in what they're doing, and they believe there's a future in in the industry as well. Exactly, exactly, and there there is a future. Or I I, can, I sure hope there is because when uh, back in the day in two thousand and two when potlatch was on its way out and they gathered all of us uh, employees to the very front and underneath a big tent and you know we didn't know if we were going to have jobs it was it was it was we just didn't know and so i wish i could remember the individual's name he he was a top level executive and he said uh, it was something like this he said um that there will always be a pulp and paper mill on the banks of the st louis river in cloquet minnesota and then he paused wow. and he looked around 
And he said, but it may not always be potlatch. And yeah. uh, and by May of uh, 2002 is when Sappy came into town, took over the mill, and um, you know, thankful they have invested, and that's where we are today. Sappy is investing capital dollars into that mill, and uh, it's it's going to be around for a long, long time. And you need that. You well, need somebody uh, forward thinking on that because if you don't, you could yeah. be swallowed up, and all of a sudden you're oh. still making paper, and, and pretty soon nobody wants to buy your product. They are very forward-thinking. They have done an excellent job. You want to make uh, a consuming mill part of the management team, and it takes many people to do this. So you have to have all kinds of outlets. Sappy's one. Lake Spear Paper is another yeah. one. But Sappy's the big dog around here. I mean, that's why when they get that many trucks coming in, 500 trucks, I do not want to sit in line with that. Unbelievable. No, that's incredible. Well, guys, when we come back after our Fox News break here, I'd like to talk a little bit uh, with you guys about the changing industry because, yeah, we know Sappy is developing and changing all the time. But we got the same thing happening out in West Duluth with the paper mill out there. They originally, I was, uh, I'm old enough that I went back, I was on the school board when they first opened that mill, and their idea was they were going to make the greatest high-quality ca- high calendar paper, mm-hmm. you know, for magazines and calendars. But they've now had to change their whole direction, and if you don't do that, you get these mills going out of business. But if, you, if you're smart enough to develop sources and new ideas you can change with the times and as my grandfather used to tell me all the time uh, there is nothing in life uh, that is certain except change (laughs) we can hit on there's another mill over in wisconsin we can talk about what happens when you don't change we can talk about expert paper when we come back also when you do look into the future here very important very important let's, let's do that guys we'll take our fox news break kenny and then we'll come back Updates brought to you by Lady O'Collins Emporium, 31 West Superior Street, a place of magic in downtown Duluth, 722-2240. That's Lady O'Collins Emporium. Your Twin Ports home for Badgers basketball. Three left corner, got it! WDSM. Is there any truth to the fact that that's you playing the horn there in this uh, song? I wish it was, but I'm very unmusically talented, you could say. Pretty poor. My kids say, you don't have no musical talent at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can listen. Well, can, listen. In my head, I'm good, but in reality, no, oh, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, and your foot does a tapping, but that's about it. That's, that's like as me. good as you can get, yes. But, uh, hey, uh, guys, be- before we get into a serious discussion here about the mills, I have a, c- a couple of quick, uh, y- you know, you got to have one line, uh, one line jokes for uh, lumberjacks. OK. OK. So let's see how you can do here. Uh, Peter, you know, the other day I got chatting to a lumberjack and uh, he seemed like a, a decent feller. <laughs> you had me for a second. <laughs> uh, the, the key phrase, feller. So there you go. Okay, yeah. how, about, how about this one? 
Did you hear about the lumberjack who got a promotion? He's now the branch manager. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Keep your, keep, your, keep your day job. Keep your day job there, Brad. Okay. Well, uh, all right. other than that, folks, uh, things are looking good here. <laughs> but uh, Okay, so let's get back to serious uh, stuff here. The, tell, the, tell, me about, tell me about how what happens to a company that doesn't stay changeable, that doesn't stay flexible. I think what, what needs to be, I think a lot starts at homes, okay? If, if I could just bear with me just a little bit here, folks. A lot starts okay. at homes, okay? And the generations of teaching their children is extremely important. And some of it is work ethic, some of it is looking in the future, and some of it is just downright just being good, honest, hardworking people. And, Bill, you grew up with that mentality of when – your dad would be very nice, but still firm, but still loving. It was always that loving hand, but still a firm hand. But the, a firm hand. Very yeah. firm. Yeah. And, and the reason I'm doing this is I'll get to the, the paper mill stuff here in just a minute, but Bill's got a, a very good story of what it's like when you have a very good dad that loves and cares for his family, the teaching moments. And that's one thing, folks, that I believe as a parent, you never stop doing you always are teaching, and as the kids get older, you worry more. I, I find myself, I'm always worried about my kids. You know, their safety in that? Sure. But you oh, have yeah. to instill good worth ethic. you got to instill in good values. And like, Bill, you were telling the story here about how your dad did that when you were just a child. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know both Scott and Peter wanted me to share this story. It was, uh, I was a teenager, and my my father was in the lumber business, in, in, in the lumber yards. And, uh, okay. you know, with with having 10 kids, raising 10 kids, and, and my mother, a stay-at-home mom, and uh, all four burners of the stove going and, and the oven going, and just a hard, hard-working mother and, and father. Well, uh, so I'm catching a ride home out in the country uh, to go home with my father and at the lumber yard and I don't remember if the lumber yard closed at five o'clock or let's say five o'clock and so he would always stay later and these guys knew it and they would be coming in to buy their their lumber and it was a, a lumber and feed mill and uh, so finally this one it's summertime and uh, hot out and and finally it's way past uh, almost an hour's going on and and the, now the till's going to be closing and he's ringing everything up and emptying everything and locking up the the lumber yard and we're heading finally heading on our way home well we're crossing over the railroad tracks uh, a block away and here comes some poor farmer on the way wanting to buy a sack of seed and some two by fours or whatever it was and uh, the window are down, of course, and it's Frank. Frank, are, are you closed? And my dad says, what do you need? And I made the mistake of a, as a young teenager to bark to say, come on, Pa, let's go home. And my father didn't like that one bit. He turned and snapped at me and put his finger right in my nose and said, Billy, it's guys like that that put food on our table. And so right. little did I know how I was being coached, and, and uh, we're all a product of, of who we are, you know, of, of our family values. And that just uh, turns into, uh, you know, I just love to stay as late as I could and help out these loggers and truckers, you know, coming in at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, it, it just meant a lot for me to have the phone ring and somebody's, you know, been stopped by a train or stopped by the DOT or had a tire blow or something like that. And all they're running late. Oh, yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I I am going to do what I can do to get that truck unloaded so he can go home and sleep in his own bed. And if it didn't work that way, uh, I've got a wife that's incredible where I would take these guys home, you know, and I'd give I'd give June a call to say, hey, I'm bringing somebody home. And I, she would say, OK, I've got get a the spot spare bedroom ready. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it was uh, very, very special times. And and I really appreciate that. Well, Bill, I can tell you've had a you've had the proper upbringing that have kept you busy. But but guys, let's switch back. You were talking about a mill in Wisconsin that yes. really hasn't adapted very well. Yes, there's and, a mill. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. It's a little bit. It's a mill over in Park Falls, Wisconsin. It's about 120 miles from here, roughly. You go to Ashland, then you go down through the state, and that mill consumed yeah. a lot of birch, and they'd have to uh, take the birch in and have to cure usually one whole year. They'd have to have a whole year's supply of wood on hand. In certain months, in the summer months, it would dry faster. But if you bought it, like, in December, it'd have to sit till next year. You'd have to have the dry, their process. And that paper mill was probably built in the 100 years ago, I'm going to say. Somewhere around there. I'm not exactly sure on it. But somewhere. And they, they went out of business, like, 10 years ago. And a guy by the name of Butch Johnson fired it back up. And they were trying to make a go of it. And they were trying and trying and trying. And it finally got to the point where they couldn't. It's because their mill got so old, and you're not being competitive, and it's a world market. The world market didn't just all of a sudden happen. It's been, I think, going on all along. It's just an illusion that it didn't start all of a sudden. It, it's been going on, I think, our whole lives. It has. We used to buy stuff in Target that came from Taiwan. Come on now. It didn't, didn't just come here. But the mill in Wisconsin... They don't have any more wood in their yard. They sold all their wood. That tells me they're done. We just heard just a, just a little bit ago. Their product is not selling for a high enough dollar to keep them going. That, it, to me, it's real sad because now you lose all that infrastructure of the mill workers. You lose the, the, far, the loggers that are supplying them. You're losing the forests that are not being managed now for that product. You need different things. So like Lake Spear Paper, now we're coming over to Duluth here. That place consumes balsam and spruce, and they're going. They're talking about going from high calendar paper, and they're they're probably going to go into heavier recycling. I'm not sure, but to go to brown paper. Remember, I, remember, probably a year or two ago, I said the mill's yes. signaling you guys Duluth meeting Duluth City Council on that. They're signaling you. Yep. They're changing. It was happening back then, but you only can say so much. But. They're looking at going into brown paper because the paper that they sell is, if it's doing great, why would you switch? And you look in the future, you're not switching because it's going great. Well, you're switching because you can see, just like Sapi and Cloquet went to Rayon Cellulose because of the changing markets. You have to adapt. And if you don't, it's like the fires out in California. They're not managing well. it. And and uh, you guys, it's it's easy to fight that to say, oh, you know, we've always done it this way. We've always worked with this. Let's just keep doing what's always been successful. But if if you're visionary enough to see that always is not going to be the future, that those are the ones that really succeed, don't they? You have to constantly adapt. Even the loggers, look at the, look at that, Brad. Uh, Fifty years ago, <clears throat> chainsaws, hot saws were were the standard. Uh, now we're running processors and cut-to-length equipment and stuff like that. So even the loggers yeah. have adapted over time to be more efficient and uh, more productive. Uh, so you're right. 
So you can get by with less people and move more product, and that's why the trucks are hauling bigger loads. So back in the early 80s, there would be trucks coming that only had six cords and some had 10, 11. And now if you see somebody coming in, there's one or two that come in with the little bitty bobtails, and they're hauling six cords or so. But that guy's making a living, and he's fine with that, and that's great. But the normal yeah. truck coming in is a full six-axle truck hauling probably 12 to 14 cords. Depends on the empty uh, weight. When it comes to Peter, Peter's got the ugliest logging truck in the state of Minnesota. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, no, I've no, ridden in that no, truck. No, no, you rode the nice oh. one. You rode the nice one. He's got a 1970-something <laughs> cab sorry. over that just got enough room oh. for one person up front. And Peter says, I don't, get, I don't get paid to haul steel across a scale, meaning the truck. I get paid. To haul yeah. wood, Bill. Have you seen it? Yeah. I have. It's great. I love it. Well, I will say this, Pete. You got a nice bus. We got a nice looking bus. Wife's got a Can't great car, and I'm driving the ugliest that. truck yeah. in the state. <laughs> It, it For looks, yeah, it's short. It looks like you're driving a phone booth on the front of a truck. <laughs> and I bought it because it's so light, and I, it was such a good deal. But I'll be running at some this winter. I haven't been driving at all, but it's an old international cab over, and but it's light. With the trailer, everybody yep. people are starting to ask. Were they asking? Weren't they asking you, Bill? What is that truck weigh empty? Everybody and, wants to know. <laughs> what's your empty weight? Because that tells you what you can put on their your load. Because you get these trucks uh, with those center mounts, and they're up around the thirty six, thirty seven thousand pound oh, yeah. empty weight. So that means you can only haul so much. Well, I'm I'm always looking less steel, more payload. Well, I think I, I think it was around twenty six five or twenty seven thousand pounds empty so my payload could be pretty big but it's just that you got to drive this cab over there's no air conditioning it rides a little bit rough and uh yeah you get a lot of looks it's like what the heck are you doing smiling give him the <laughs> thumbs up hey i'm looking good too <laughs> now guys i had one other question that's been rattling around in me for a while here uh, do you make arrangements to go into uh, like peat bogs and stuff do you have it set up so that w- you know that at a certain period of time in the year, the the roads are going to freeze going into those bogs, and that's where you're going to wait to get in there. Or, or is that just something that comes naturally? You just kind of know when you can get into areas and when you can't. Uh, you have to know when you can. It comes over experience and over time. I mean, if you get just a little bit of frost, you got to have some very cold weather. It's got to really push down because, yeah. remember, those swamps are still warm. Even in the middle of winter in February where it's 30 below, there's still 55, 57 degrees underneath pushing up. So you have to wow. have that cold to keep pushing down, pushing down, pushing down. And you got to get right. enough frost thickness to hold that. And if you don't have enough, yeah, you can go across with a snowmobile and it'll hold it. You can go across maybe with a pickup. But you come across sure. with a semi that's fully loaded, and you go down like Jerry Domingue talked last time where he lost his whole pup and was bobbing in like water, you know, and he lost the whole thing. Yeah. That can happen, but it, it's sad because now what do you do? It takes a lot of work. So either you learn fairly fast or you're going to have a lot of mistakes that cost you money. So, guys, one last uh, question before we uh, end up here this morning. If you had to make a bet... Or, or if you had to uh, make odds on it, uh, Scott, uh, Peter, Bill, any of you, is there going to be a future in this biomass uh, thing that they're meeting with the uh, people today on? Is, is there a future for that, or, or is it just going to be too tough to cross that hurdle? 
Well, there's a future uh, for that, for the biomass, bio-crude. But I'll be honest with you, we're pretty frustrated. I've been to D.C. three times this year meeting with officials yeah. out there uh, or being stood up by officials, one or the other, um, <laughs> talking about an so the meeting that we had uh, scheduled for October 1st. But um, um, I, I, found, I think we found out where the problem's coming in on this bio-crude, and it's the American Petroleum Institute. They oh, sure. they don't want to blend ethanol from farmers. In fact, they right. support the, uh, the the refinery exemptions that were recently issued um, that cut back on the requirement of ethanol. And if they don't want to blend yes. ethanol, then I imagine a lot of them don't want to blend bio crude either. They just want to keep pumping their uh, fossil fuels through their systems. Sure. So we finally figured out who we're up against, and they're pretty big boys, and we're little guys. But uh, hopefully... Uh, um, the influence of uh, of uh, those those organizations will be outweighed by the co- by, by the common good of uh, developing the biomass markets and bio crude and ethanol. See, that's once again we're still the hidden industry, and so that's why it's easy to not do a whole lot for the hidden industry because it's like the family farm; you see it all the time. The logger, you really don't see, and so you become. I don't know. In a way, you can become expendable a little bit. It's sad, but there can be a great future. We 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 talk with both our senators and our congressman and our commissioner. Got a call into the governor. We're trying to push it the best we can, and with help, hopefully, we can get going forward on this because we really need it in this area. We really do. Yes, and it'd be a very yeah. big plus for the industry jobs be a lot of jobs it'd be very good for employment cleaning up more of the forest because there is a bit of loud waste out there and it helped mills like sappy where bill works or did work i should say officially coming up where they are still going to get they're still going to get their product it isn't that it's going to go into competition something like this is to be something that is not being consumed so you can't take real good wood and grind it up and do this because financially you'll never make it because they yeah. do not pay the price. You always remember, folks. You take out the best saw logs first, and you take out the next saw logs, and you take out the pulp that goes to like a sapien, the Lake Spear paper, and then at the end you take the biomass, which is the total junk, and that goes to these places like an instant. And sure. that's how the the system works. And you are not going to take and grind up nice wood because financially you'll go broke doing it. You may do it a little bit, but you're not going to do it very long. And you're going to be you're done. Right. And how about, like at Sappy, they like to get the nice wood, don't they, Bill? They do like to get the nice wood, and it, uh, it's great when we get the nice wood. But <laughs> How about, uh, have, you been, have you seen lately, or probably over the years, it seems like the wood is a little bit rotter, because doesn't that tell you that we're not harvesting it fast enough? Well, we've all, or I've always seen the rotten wood from the very beginning to right now, and uh, I don't, we can't cut it fast enough. It's just falling down, yeah. robbing. I mean, if if all I saw was a four-inch, you know, white aspen, I'd think, where's the wood? But you don't. You see this big overgrowth, overmature aspen, robbing, falling down, and we cannot cut it fast enough because we've lost well, five mills guys, in the last, yeah. uh, you know, t- 10, 15 years. That's the problem, guys. Well, listen, it has been a pleasure having all of you. And again, Bill, uh, Gerard, uh, enjoy your retirement. You've earned it so well. Uh, Scott, Dane, keep pushing. And uh, Peter, thanks so much for uh, your help as always. This is such a great segment. People look forward to it every month. 
uh, let the sawdust fly. But, guys, thank you so much. And, Kenny, I know we got to get to our Wisconsin news break, so let's do that. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Thank you.